Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Well, we said this before and unfortunately we're going to have to say it again. Today may be the last 100 degree day of the year. Yeah, I think we've done that twice now, said that it was, and guess what? It got to be 100. So uh, we can only hope, and it's going to be a miserable 100 degrees. Not only is it going to be a record temperature, but with the humidity, the heat index, we're, we're talking 105 degrees. That's brutal. Now, supposedly there's a 30% chance of rain tonight. And I've been saying we will take every drop of rain we can get. And then there's a 60% chance tomorrow. So maybe we can get some cooler, cooler weather after this rain. The temperatures are finally dropping into the nighttime lows being cold enough that things like tomatoes and peppers and beans and, you know, plants like that will be able to produce a bloom and carry it on for it to be fruit. Does that mean I'd be running out there and putting stuff in the ground today? Uh, Not sure. Not sure. Uh, If you're going to do it, you need to do it in the next couple of hours because it's going to be so hot and so humid so early. It will take no time at all to reach just absolutely miserable conditions. It says it's 78 degrees out, but it feels like 85 already. Ugh. I'm I'm thinking that I, and we have time for it, I'm thinking that we can wait until next weekend to do some of this stuff. We have a relatively long season when it comes to the fall garden. So let's assume the end of the month, we put stuff in. December 1st is the average first frost. So that means you have all of October and all of November to get your plants out there and get a harvest in. And if you can protect your plants a little bit, um, it doesn't take a whole lot to keep them above frost. So you could still have quite the season. And then some of our plants, the fall garden, are leafy greens. Man, they, they don't really get that bothered by a frost. Okay, maybe you lose a couple of leaves. But if the plant's been in the ground almost two months, it's got a well-established root section to it, and a little bit of frost is not going to bother it. We tend to get our, oh gosh, 
the whole world is frozen weather closer to February. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have a killer day in December, but we actually have a great season right now for many of our plants. A little bit of frost and a well-established plant tends to not be a real big deal, unless it's tomatoes. Maybe some super hot peppers. Frost will kill your tomatoes. That's just the way it goes. And a frost is actually a big benefit. Those of you who have put cover crops down, like your black-eyed peas, the frost will kill the plant. And that's great because you don't have any labor then. You're a black-eyed peas, you go out, you've been harvesting or not, and the first frost will knock them down, will effectively kill them. And all of that dead matter that is above the roots, above the soil, will just lay down and become a mulch. You can plant in it without problems. And the minute it kills the plant, those roots will start releasing their stored nitrogen back to the soil. So that first frost is a good date for our summer cover crops to end. And again, if you let the weather, if you let Mother Nature control them, you don't have anywhere near as much labor to deal with to be able to uh, get the return from the cover crop in the soil. Now, you should be looking soon, I would say by the middle of October maybe, towards planting your fall cover crops because those crops can generally handle a frost, but for it to be effective, you really need them to get established before that frost. That can take a little work, six weeks in the ground already, and that should be enough. And you'll wind up with a well-established fall cover crop that you don't have to remove because the summer heat will kill it off. Nice combination there. First frost gets rid of one cover crop. Last frost and first hot weather gets rid of the other cover crop. All the time doing nothing but improving your soil. And you know, many of the fall cover crops, the vetch, the uh, clovers, they're beautiful. They'll bloom. I had a bed full of clover one year, and it more or less, the whole thing erupted at once. And I had a solid red bed. It, it looked like fire. It was so pretty and provided such a benefit, such a benefit to the soil between the organic matter and the recovered nitrogen um, 
it, it was a wonderful trade-off. Beautiful, beautiful blooms, great improvement to the soil, basically no maintenance on my part. And the pollinators went crazy. Boy, they, they had a, a field day with the flowers and being able to get the nectar. So all kinds of great combinations here from your cover crops. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, been talking about the cover crops, because we're on the cusp of ending the summer cover crops and definitely starting the fall cover crops. Now, you have to remember, whatever your cover crop is, do not pull the roots out. It's really critical that the roots stay there because for our legume type cover crops, the ones that fix nitrogen, if you pull the roots out, that's where the uh, collected nitrogen is stored. So if you pull the roots out, you just threw away all your effort. And many of our cover crops have a really massive, massive root mass. That's where the organic matter comes from. So your cover crops, like your peas, black-eyed peas, southern peas, etc., don't pull them out. Now, you can cut them flush if you need the ground, if you've got other things to do, you're tired of them for whatever reason. Cut them flush and take all the top that you cut off, save the peas, and toss them in your compost pile. Now, that extra work is fine. The, the goal is to leave those roots in the soil. But I've also found that most of those summer cover crops, like the, the black-eyed peas, even the buckwheat, the first frost is probably going to kill them. And the great thing about that is you don't have to do any work. Let the weather kill the plant, let it fall to the ground, and suddenly you've got a new layer of mulch. You can still plant in them. Just pull some of it away, put your seed or start in the soil, and away you go. That will give you a really good return in the fact that you're getting some of the the best of the best in terms of the, the uh, elements that the cover crops saved. You get all the organic matter that they produced, can't get enough of that, and they become a cover crop, or they become a mulch for you. So they continue to stop producing 
uh, or stop the production of seeds and weeds. They're, they're the, the best return on your money that you can get when it comes to improving, improving your soil. You get nutrient, you get organic matter, great combinations. Now, the, the seasons kind of overlap. If you wait for the frost to kill your cover crops, that's going to be a period of time where it's almost too late to be planting your winter cover crops. So if you're going to have a bed that's a cover crop and you're going to follow it with a bed that's a cover crop, you're probably going to have to do the labor of removing the summer cover crop early and starting the winter cover crop before the first frost. You really want those crops to get well-established and good roots before it gets cold. Things like vetch and clover can handle a frost. Even a pretty decent freeze, their roots will stay alive. And as soon as it warms up a little bit, you'll see that they can produce new um, top growth. Some of the cover crops, depending on what you're using, um, I think daikon radish is an amazing cover. It will produce this very large radish that's very tasty, and it drills a big hole into the soil. It is a, a, a seeded tiller because it can do so much tearing up a bad soil. It's tasty, and it's leaves spread out enough that it can cover the soil and prevent moisture loss and weed starting. Daikons are a great crop. And, uh, and again, uh, they are tasty. There's a lot of recipes for daikon out there, and they're very good. You could roast them and slice them or any way you would serve a radish. The daikons can fill that need. And I really can't emphasize enough how well they do at breaking up the soil. They will make a eight inch deep hole that's about an inch to inch and a half in diameter. When you pull that radish out, boy, it'll be really easy to mix in some organic matter and build up your soil in a hurry. And again, this is a crop that's inedible. You, are, you can plant it even if you don't want to use it for the cover crop idea because daikons are productive and very tasty. Lots of ways to make them. And they really do well to be pickled. So they'll keep for a long time. Your Flowering covers, like your clover, like your vetch, are great for the pollinators. They will have resources because those plants will tend to bloom in cooler weather, which means that the pollinators have something to eat 
Because when it's really cold, it's hard for them to get resources. So this is a good time of the year to start evaluating if you're going to go with a cover crop. And if you already have a cover crop, you need to decide, am I going to have a fall cover crop in the same bed? That'll help you determine when to remove the first crop. Remember, leave the roots. That's the whole purpose of the plant. Without those roots, you simply planted something you threw away. And we don't want to do that with cover crops. There is no better way to improve your soil with the minimum amount of inputs. I mean, a couple of packages of seeds are really cheap. And they can return so much to your soil for so little effort. As opposed to, well, I got to go get a bag of X and a bag of Y and, oh, I got to work it into my soil and too much work, too much work, too much cost. One of the goals of being a successful farmer or gardener, you want to minimize your inputs. You really want nature to take care of herself the best you can. Because nature can do a really good job of it. And seeds are a lot less expensive than having to buy nutrients. Up to you. It's easy to do. The more garden you have, they are more effective using cover crops. It's something that you need to be aware of. It's something you should be trying. It's really, really good for your garden. When you get out there, you really should benefit from the roots that are left. If you want to turn your soil into a super crumbly cake mix where it's crumbly like chocolate cake, this is the way you do it. All of those roots will wind up dying in that soil, producing basically their own compost and organic matter, and every season you're going to get a richer and richer soil. You're going to get that tilt that you're looking for with just about zero effort. Other than having to plant the plants, they're not water hogs, and you can't get food from them. What better combination can you get than that? Folks, this is Gardening Naturally, coming to the bottom of the hour. Need to uh, take a break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. 
Let's uh, let's go to the phone. Let's see, where was I here? This is Rita. Rita, what can I help you with? Okay, I wanted to ask you one more question about cover crops. You say to cut it down to the ground and leave the roots, but how do you plant another crop? Right in the mess. Dig into, you know, dig in your fertilizer or that couple of inches. You well, that's the thing with a cover crop. You don't have to add fertilizer. You just have to have the seed in the soil, and you can push the seed right into the center of the last plant's roots. They'll be just fine. We're talking about plants that, you know, they're not like tree roots. They're usually pretty fine. And you can just keep putting crop after crop after crop. Okay. A&M had, yeah, A&M did this study where they put in a cover crop and they didn't get rid of it. They left it in place and planted tomatoes right in the cover crop. And they got a 15% increase in yield. So okay. other crops don't really get in the way. You can push the seed in. If you can get the seed in the soil, the seed will take off. So I'll just leave it around there. Okay, gotcha now. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, you can plant in your cover crop. Now, if the cover crop is dead or dying and you put a plant in there, that plant's going to start growing. The cover crop should start dying on you. And then it'll start feeding the plant you have that's growing there. It'll start breaking down the nitrogen it saves and give you the ability to get that new plant started out really well. And as for fertilizer for your cover crops, um, it's not really necessary. You're not going to get better cover crops by fertilizing them. The goal of the cover crops, especially the nitrogen fixers, the legumes, is to not need fertilizer. Those crops are sucking nitrogen right out of the air and storing it in their roots, and they will give it up when they are dead. They don't share that three sisters idea isn't really plants are sharing the nitrogen. They'll share it when they're dead and give it back to the soil. So they don't really require a ton of water, a ton of care, definitely no fertilizer. They're really super beneficial. Let's go to the phone. This is Annette. Annette, what can I help you with? Yes, um, I was wondering about um, putting out um, some ryegrass for the deer, and um, I'm wondering um, if that's a good idea and how heavily you have to water it, and can you just throw seeds out to... I was wondering... And then also I had a question. What are you going to? What are you using the ryegrass for? Um, to help feed the deer. That is probably not a great practice because what may happen is the deer will eat it so fast 
it'll never get a real start. Oh. You can you can just throw the ryegrass out. It would be great if you could rake the area a little bit so that the seed can get to the soil, and that'll help it germinate. <clears throat> and that will allow it to grow faster and fill in better. But the deer can eat faster than the ryegrass can grow, so I'm not sure you're going to stay ahead of them. Um, and does ryegrass hurt if you already have, like, close to Bermuda grass in certain areas? Does it overtake it, or does it just go for the winter and then dies out? It should go for the winter and then die out. Um, ryegrass can grow pretty well during colder weather, and so it'll fill in when the Bermuda goes dormant. In the summer or in the spring, when it starts to warm up, it'll get too hot for the ryegrass, but it'll be perfect for the Bermuda, and the Bermuda will start coming back. It's one way to try to maintain 12 months of green turf. Okay. And I have a dog area that um, I called and talked to a company, and, and um, she said that um, there's, I don't know if you know about the grasses, that one celebration, high drought, drought tolerance, more blue-green color, I think, and Bermuda still up, Bermuda Coastal, um, Bermuda Celebration. Maybe yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of varieties of Bermuda. They've really hybridized that grass for lots of needs, drought tolerance, uh, uh, impact, able to handle traffic, all kinds of things. And do you have any suggestions with that? Is that it, does the hybrids are still just as good? Uh, well, it's the only way you can get that turf. There is a Bermuda grass seed, but it's called common Bermuda. And all of the Bermudas that have a name, like Celebration and Tiff and all those names, those can only be grown by sod. And that's the big difference. The hybridized versions that have some kind of name to them they uh, they they have to be grown as sod, and you lay it down as sod to get it. Common Bermuda, which is a good turf, can be simply tossed out by seed and let it grow. Oh, cool. And the other question I had um, is my rose bushes took a huge heating, my knockout roses, they're... They're over 10 years old, but um, they still have a small amount of green stem on them. To, is it healthy to cut out all the other brown stuff around it? Um, I have the same situation as you. My roses aren't quite as old as yours, but I I gave them up for dead. I yeah. quit watering them. I quit doing anything to them. I was out there Friday and looking at them, and they have all kinds of new growth on them. They have a whole bunch of dead stems, no doubt about it. I'm going to let them go a little longer. Maybe this next rain after that, then I may go out there 
and cut off the dead stems. I'm not going to trim them yet because the weather is so miserable, but uh, they should be okay. And I want them to show me lots of new growth before I go out there and do anything to them. Because um, if they're not going to make it, I'm not going to do anything to them. But they surprise me. They've got new growth showing up, uh, quite a bit of it, actually. And the dead, I'm going to take that out maybe next week. Maybe next week because another round of rain. If I can get just one more round of rain, I think that'll really fire them up and make them look a lot better. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Annette. Yeah, folks, totally surprised when I did everything other than actually go out there and try to kill the roses, that they made it through that terrible heat with basically no water. And the first little splash of rain I get, they're going crazy. All kinds of new growth. I wouldn't be surprised one more rain. I'm going to get all kinds of new buds on them even. Hope so. They were beautiful roses. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. Uh, I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I've got some text messages here that I'd like to catch up on. I was talking about cover crops and someone's asking, what kind of clover do we do here and you know, where do you buy it? Generally speaking, the white Dutch clover is not a great choice for Central Texas. There's one called crimson clover, which produces a red flower, very, very attractive. Still very beneficial, still is a legume and, and collects nitrogen. You can find crimson clover seed at uh, independent local nurseries. Give them a call before you head out there if that's all you're going for. You can also find it at Ace Hardware. Um, I've seen it there. I got seed, uh, got sulfur there. Um, Tractor Supply, and Callahan's. I know that all three of those places have um, have a clover seed. So you can go and get it there. Now, uh, somebody is asking about fireflies. Yeah, um, I've had years with really good fireflies. Amazing. I mean, hadn't seen it before, but it was more related to the water. We had a pretty wet winter and early spring and had lots of flyer, flyer blah, 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 sorry, fireflies. Um, is there a plant or shrub that will draw them in? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. 
they kind of want to be in the mulch. So if you have well-mulched areas, that can be a spot. And just having good growth of shrubs, of taller flowers, things like that, especially grasses, especially grasses. So if you have a bunch of like gulf muley, that is a place where the fireflies will uh, show up. But they're not real populous right now because of the dry heat and the lack of rain. If we can get moisture at a better time in the year, they'll show up um, and you'll be able to go out there and enjoy them. I think that it's a great way to spend an evening in the early evening to sit down and look out into the dark and see them lighting up. But they're, um, they really need the conditions and we haven't had them for couple of years at least it's been so dry so dry that's just not promoted the fireflies and by the way thank you jim i have a headset on so i can't hear that my chair is squeaking i will uh take care of that um i had to lift up an earpiece and move around to understand what you were talking about i'll take care of that i'll try to get rid of that as quick as i can um let's see we had one about is now a good time to spread wildflower seeds yes we're actually starting to get a little late here the sooner you can get them out the sooner natural rainfall will get them to germinate now you may have a big bag of wildflower seeds an assortment of them right and the problem with the assortment is some of those seeds will germinate spring or next summer, and some of them will germinate right now. You may not get them all to come up at the same time, but it is the right time to get them out and uh, distributed where you want them to be. Understand, like I said, some of them may not show up till much later. That's okay. That's how nature does it. She'll throw seeds out when it's the right time to throw seeds out, and they'll germinate when all of the check boxes are marked. Do we have the right temperature? Are we in contact with the soil? How much water did we get? How much sunlight do we get? These things, if they match what the plant needs, it will germinate and produce Produce what you are looking for. Let's go to the phone quick. This is Brett. Brett, what can I help you with? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I um, I called you a, a while back here talking about gala apples and things like that. And I'm reading about it like as much as I can. And I'm reading that sometimes you start with like a, a rootstock that the dwarf variety, for instance, like we talked about M111 or like G9 or something along those lines, and then you graft the type of apple you want on top of that. But we, when you and I talked, we started with a gala rootstock, 
and we grafted on the uh, the the uh, like M one eleven on top of that. It, can it ha- work both ways? There, it, it is not on. It is not unheard of, though it's not quite common, to have one kind of rootstock and then a graft of a different kind of rootstock and then a graft of the actual type of apple that you want to grow. That does happen. It is, it is really kind of rare. Normally, you would get the rootstock you want and graft on the type of apple that you want. Okay, that that's the most common thing to do. That's the best thing to do, or does it matter? Uh, you know, I would say it's the most common. Is it the best? Well, I don't know. We've been doing it that way for 150 years or so and gotten good results out of it. Um, I'm sure they work every year to try to come up with better and better varieties and more successful roots, things like that. But that's kind of, this is how you're going to see it done in most places. Is it possible to have a three-way where you have one kind of rootstock and then a middle gap and then the top of the plant? Yes, uh, I've read about that. It happens. There's reasons for it, but um, it is by no means common. Okay. Well, where does the like M111 come from? It has to come from an apple of some sort, doesn't it? Uh, that's correct. It may come from an apple that is too mealy, too small, too few. It's just really a terrible apple, but it's got really great roots. So they grow it for the purpose of only making the root stock. Okay. Uh, I'm still pretty confused, but it's, uh, I guess one day I'll kind of get it, how it all works. That's kind of how they came up with it. They struggled and figured out, try this, and it worked well. Okay, then so I could start with a Gala apple or Fuji, and then I could graft on the, which could be the, the size of the apple tree altogether. No, 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 no. I okay. I have to break, Brett. I got to break for the news. Uh, listen up. I'll catch this on the other side and tell you what's going on. <laughs> 